Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. In this episode, we're talking about every leader's Achilles heel, distractions. And we're going to help you identify your single biggest distraction and how to beat it. Man, this is a real problem because so often it's distractions that keep us from getting our most important work done. They do. In fact, I devote an entire chapter in my new book, Free to Focus, which isn't out yet, but uh, I just was reading through it yesterday, recording the audio book, and I I realized again how big of an issue this is for most people. Right. So if we're going to be able to focus on our most important work and making our greatest contribution, we've got to figure out how to deal with distractions. We do. Well, we're joined by Larry Wilson, one of our senior content creators, who is going to walk us through this subject. Larry, good to see you. Hey, guys. Great to be here. And uh, I, I want to let the cat out of the bag right away and tell everybody what their biggest distraction is. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Your biggest distraction is you, yourself. Uh, we are our own biggest distractions most of the time. Let's just take a reality check here. Does that fit with your experience, Megan, Michael? Uh, yes, it does. So I uh, have four children, as I've said often. I'm also one of five children, five daughters. And so there's just like a lot of family communication that happens, which uh, as it turns out, does not discriminate between before and after work and during the work day. And so this has been particularly challenging for me with uh, my sisters and my mom, who I love and love talking to. But what happens is, is that, you know, we get like the family group text going, and it can take on a life of its own and absolutely, you know, take over your day if you're trying to respond to those things in real time. Um, several of my sisters are entrepreneurs and don't have kind of like a structured regular work day. So they have a little bit more freedom um, than I I do to, to send messages during the day. So what I figured out how to do is, first of all, I want to prioritize those messages and respond to them, but I need to do it in a more intelligent way. So I discovered that on my iPhone, I could swipe left on the conversation in my text, you know, list of texts, and that would essentially snooze or mute the alerts that, you know, constantly are popping up from your text messages. So not just the sounds, the actual alerts themselves. So I'm not seeing those on my phone or my my computer or my watch during the day. And then, you know, as I have time later in the afternoon or evening, I'll go through them all at once and respond. And that's been a game changer because what would happen is I'd be sitting in a meeting and my watch is constantly vibrating, you know, because I'm getting these one after the other text messages and I felt badly. I wasn't able to focus on what people were saying in the meeting. Um, It was just terrible. So this has been a good solution. But that's a good example, which kind of brings us back to the question about what's the biggest distraction. That's a question where you were allowing yourself exactly. to be distracted. Yeah. I think there's another case, though, where people, we see this with social media all the time, where they try to do something difficult. They're trying to do some work that requires a lot of cognitive effort. And they get distracted because it's a whole lot easier. And there's an immediate dopamine uh, hit when you jump over to Facebook or check social media. That's a kind of distraction, another kind of distraction that we're also talking about in this episode. Well, I think the bottom line is, as a leader, you have to quit distracting yourself. You're your own worst enemy here, and that's what we're going to dig into now. Okay, so we've got three helpful actions that will help every leader quit distracting themselves. And let's start with action number one, which is to build a wall against interruptions. How do we do that? I think it's important to distinguish between interruptions and distractions, and here's how I think of it. 
Interruptions are from the outside in. They're external in nature. It's somebody coming into your office to ask for help. It's somebody giving you a call. It's somebody sending you a text message or a direct message in social media. That's an interruption. A distraction is when I stop, when I voluntarily stop what I'm doing to attend to something else that's really not the work that I ought to be doing. So when we talk about building a wall against interruptions, we're talking about setting up a system that keeps people from breaking in on you. So let me give you an example. I have on my iPhone the do not disturb function set so that people don't bother me during certain hours of the day. Certainly, I don't want to be awoken in the middle of the night by some random person that's spam calling me. That would be an interruption to my sleep. But I also don't want to be bothered before nine o'clock in the morning. So unless you're on my favorites list, which will break through the do not disturb, you're going to go immediately to voicemail. So those people that are trying to call me at you know, seven o'clock when I'm trying to exercise or I'm trying to have a quiet time or whatever, they're not going to get through. So this is a sense in which I think that we can use technology to fight technology. And thankfully, Apple has built into their ecosystem a do not disturb function. It's also on your desktop computer. If you look in the upper right-hand corner of your Mac computers, there's that hamburger symbol. And if you hold down the option key and click on that, It'll put your whole computer on do not disturb mode so that you're not interrupted in the midst of trying to get important work done. The other thing that you can do here, and this is so simple, but um, you got on to me one time about this because I hadn't done it, is to turn off your notifications to everything. Hello. Hello. Okay. Some of us don't even know you can do this. And I would be one of those people, you know, a few years ago that I didn't even realize. Um, and, and in truth, like a lot of the app makers are kind of sneaky about how they, they automate these things. You have to go in manually and, and change it. But if you go into your, your iPhone settings and you go to your notifications, you can turn them all off, you know, and there may be a couple you want to leave on, but I mean, this is going to free up your mind, guys. Yeah, I think the best way to do it is to go in and turn them all off. Right. So default to all off Mm -hmm. and then add back the ones that you absolutely think that you have to have. Right. So that's where I would start. I I want to give a hack too on text messages because there's nothing more intrusive than a text message. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get a text message, don't you feel like you're talking about your sisters or your mom? You feel the immediate need to respond. Well, it's terrible too, because if you don't respond after you've read it, then there's no way to remind yourself to go back and read it, right? Because there's no like, mark all is read or, you know, something like that. It's not going to alert you again. So then you're afraid you're, at least I get this way. I feel like I'm going to forget to respond if I don't do it right now. You know what you just reminded me of? What? I got a text message from a friend of mine back in early January that that exact same thing happened. It happens to me all the time. And I just realized that I never responded to that. Right. Can, can we just stop so I can go do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Somebody make a note. Okay, so one of the ways to get around this is I use actually two different phone numbers. Now, it's not because I have a second cell phone. Uh, that would be expensive and it's actually not necessary. But here's what I did. This happened actually a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. So first of all, I got so tired of even my close friends and business associates who were texting me and interrupting my day. And it got really frustrating. So, and I, and I wanted to not just turn my text messages off because I wanted to be able to get important text messages or urgent text messages from family. So what I did was I changed my cell phone number, which by the way, at least with AT&T, took me about 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. I went into my dashboard. I could change the number. You know, they, they ask you if you're doubly sure you want to do this. And bam, suddenly my old text number is rendered obsolete and I have a new uh, cell phone number. Then I went in and I got a Google voice number. 
Okay, it's free. This is so cool. So then from that point forward, everyone, with the exception of my family, and not even all my family, but don't tell them that. So all of my uh, immediate family has my real cell phone number. My business, like the executive team, has my real cell phone number. Everyone else, including you know the clerk at Nordstrom when she asks, or the clerk at Walgreens when they want to be able to text you a notification, or whoever, even my friends and business associates outside of the list that I gave gets the Google number. Now, here's a cool thing about that. Google, when, I, when a text message comes to Google, I've got it set up so that Google sends me that text via email. That's so awesome. So then I process it at the two times when I'm processing my email in the day, in my work uh, workday startup ritual and my workday shutdown ritual. So I'm not being constantly pinged by these messages that are hitting my, quote, cell phone number, but it's my Google Voice number. Here's even the better thing. I can reply to those emails when I'm processing email, and it goes back out as a text message. So cool. So it's so cool. So I've got a record of the text message. It's in email, just like email. I can respond via email, and I keep it from being what's called synchronous communication. All of a sudden now, it's asynchronous, which means somebody communicates when it's convenient for them, but I don't have to reply until it's convenient for me. So that's how I've I've built a wall against interruptions. I feel like we need to take a break in the podcast and go into a little counseling session uh, because as some of you know, I'm kind of a people pleaser and this is really hard for me to not be available when people want to get a hold of me. So you helped me a little bit with the asynchronous communication idea, but how do you get over this idea that I just need to be responsive uh, and that being responsive means being always on call? Well, I mean, I think you have to redefine what responsive means. You know, there is sort of what is a default expectation of immediate responsiveness. And there's then what people need to get their needs met. And in most cases, unless it's an emergency, if you respond to a friend saying, hey, can we have coffee? Or one of my sister's had something happen in their day that they wanted to let me know about. The truth is those are not truly urgent. You know, just because they show up as a text message doesn't uh, render them urgent. So that's important to note. You know, certainly if it's an emergency, you want to handle that immediately. But otherwise, I think we just have to redefine what is what really is urgent and what's the cost of thinking everything's urgent. I think also we train people by how we respond. Mm -hmm. So if you respond to people immediately, that creates an expectation that you're always going to respond immediately. I was just having this discussion with Sarah, who's um, my audio producer for the book yesterday as I was reading through uh, my new book, Free to Focus for the Audiobook. And she was saying that she really struggles with this, Mm -hmm. you know, because her clients, they want an immediate response. And she said, I just don't feel like I can say no. I said, well, what if you sat down and had an adult conversation and you said to them from the beginning, said, look... One of the best ways that I can serve you is to do the deep creative work that requires extended periods of time without interruption. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be times when you're not able to get me immediately, but I typically respond within 24 hours. So now we're resetting this expectation. Mm -hmm. I typically respond within 24 hours or same day if I can. You know, in other words, you got to set this based on your industry and dependent dependent upon the kind of service that you want to offer to your clients, but set the expectation so that they have that as a reference point. Because if you don't have that conversation, then their expectation is going to be at their expectation. So how you train people is very important by being clear on the front end how you intend to respond. That helps me with the uh, electronic part of it and uh, 
that's easy enough to control. What about drop-in visitors, especially in an office setting? That can be a real problem. Yeah, it can, especially if you're in a cubicle and you don't have a door that you can shut. Then you have to be a little bit more, um, use some some more overt signs. Like one of the universal signs of I don't want to be disturbed is to have headphones on, right? But you could also put a do not disturb sign on your desk, or you could have a conversation with your department or with your team and and decide in advance that, look, there are going to be times when I need to be able to do work. And if I've got my headphones on or if the do not disturb sign is on the door, that doesn't mean that I'm being rude. It doesn't mean uh, that that we're, we're trying not to be helpful, but that's so I can do this deep work that's actually going to move the needle forward on our business. So agree sort of on the rules of engagement with the team that you're working with. I found also in a situation like that, I used to have a boss that that would constantly interrupt me just as I was getting ahead of steam and, do, and doing some important creative work. So I would, before I'd go into one of those sessions, I would proactively contact him and say, hey, I'm about to shut my door and do some really important work. And I just wondered if there's anything that you need before I do that. Mm, so that headed off at the pass. It also let him know that I was about to go into some deep work. And if he had the compulsion later on to interrupt me, he knows that he already had his chance. So he's more inclined to leave me alone. That worked great. The other thing to think about is where you're doing the kind of work that you're doing. So for example, we have a, our office space is kind of set up like a co-working space. It's mostly open plan with a bunch of meeting rooms. No um, private offices. No private offices at all. Uh, no cubicles either, you know, so it's, it feels kind of like a hotel lobby for the most part. So very often I'll sit out kind of in the middle of that workspace and do my workday startup routine where I'm answering emails and Slack messages and things like that. Um, and, you know, during that, time. I don't really mind if I get interrupted. It's not a big deal. I'm making myself available. I want to connect with my team. But if I have to do deep work, you know, I'm going to be working on some kind of project or, or other, other tasks that involves a lot of focus. I'm not going to sit out there. You know, I'm either going to work from home or we have a designated space that's called our create space. That's sort of like a library that's intended to not have talking happening in that space. Um, But so often we put ourselves in a situation like you go to work at a Starbucks where, you know, you're going to see 10 people that, you know, because you live in a small town and, you know, you have a lot of familiar faces. That's not going to be helpful for your productivity. So being thoughtful about where you do what you do and what kind of work you're doing at that time is really helpful. Hey everybody, Mike Boyer here to let you in on a little secret. Michael's latest book, Free to Focus, A Total Productivity System to Achieve More by Doing Less, comes out in just one week. And if you pre-order now, you'll not only get the book as soon as it's available, you'll also get almost $500 worth of free bonuses. But hurry, these bonuses are available for a limited time. Pre-order Free to Focus today and claim $500 worth of free bonuses at freetofocusbook.com. That's freetofocusbook.com. We're talking about how to deal with your biggest distraction, which is often yourself. And action number one is to build a wall against interruptions. And that's something only you can do. Action number two is to put a leash on distractions. Let's talk about that. Okay, this is another place where we can use technology to fight technology. So there's a lot of technology that's available today that's designed to keep you from getting distracted. So to give you an example, one of my favorite tools is a tool called Freedom, and you can find it at freedom.to. We don't have an affiliate relationship with them. We probably should, but we don't. 
But basically what it does is it turns off parts of the internet when you don't need them. So as a writer, as a speaker, I need access to research. So I just can't turn off the internet. I mean, that'd be easy. I just, you know, turn off my wireless or whatever. What this does, this allows me to be selective about what parts of the internet I turn off. Like I don't need Facebook. I don't need Twitter. I usually don't need YouTube when I'm doing research. And so I can turn off selectively those sites so that I can't get to them. So freedom locks me out of those websites. It can also lock me out of specific apps. So if there's an app that I might go to, like it's a lot easier, to, uh, for example, to check email or check Slack than it is to actually do creative work and keep writing. So I can lock those applications up so I can't get to those either way. And it syncs across all my devices. So I can't cheat the system. And don't ask me how I know this, <laughs> but I can't cheat the system by trying to go to my cell phone or my iPad and getting a quick hit. You know, I have to stay focused because they're all in sync and I'm locked out for the length of the session, which I predetermine how long it's going to be. So for example, I might say for the next 50 minutes, I got to get this important you know, blog post written or something else. So I'm going to lock myself up and I can't get to these other things. So I have to stay engaged and not be distracted. Another thing that I've found helpful is to choose the right music. So there's a site that you and I both love that's uh, called Focus at Will. Mm -hmm. And our good friend Stu McLaren introduced us to this years ago, actually. And it is one of the things that I consistently avail myself of when I need to do focused work like this. Uh, it's basically scientifically engineered music, and you can choose different genres, all instrumental of uh, some form or another, that really cues your brain to focus. I'm not quite sure how it works, but it's it's very, very effective. Um, you can choose different tempos for the intensity of the kind of work you're doing, and I've really enjoyed that and find it very helpful. Michael, you mentioned that checking social media is easier than doing your real work. And I've heard you talk about the concept of downhill work. What do you mean by that? And is this social media jumping or task jumping? Is this part of that? Yes. And I can't remember where I got this concept, but the difference is between uphill work and downhill work. In other words, there's some work that requires no effort. It's easy and oftentimes there's a dopamine hit, some biochemistry that's involved, where you get a little uh, biochemical reward for doing it. So that would include things like checking social media or checking email again or checking text messages or checking a news site or checking Facebook, you know, reading articles, things that are easy to do. They're downhill work, but they're just a distraction. They're not your real work. They don't move the needle forward on your goals or even your projects. They're just kind of sideways energy. They're busy work. Uphill work is the stuff that really re uh, requires your full concentration and usually for longer than a minute or two. You know, this is stuff where if you're going to get a real cognitive breakthrough or creative breakthrough, you've got to stay focused on the problem you're trying to solve or the thing you're trying to create for extended periods of time. And the problem with these distractions is, and, and you may have some of the, the relevant stats, Larry, but uh, the problem with these distractions is that the average person is interrupted every couple of minutes or they're distracted every couple of minutes. And so they don't really have this uphill time or this uh, time to really to fully focus on their work. And it's the kind of work that we all desperately need if we're gonna, gonna really do what we're required to do to, to move our business forward, to move our lives forward. One of my favorite 
ways to distract myself is by tidying up my office. So when I have something, some real uphill work to do, nothing goes downhill faster than putting away the paper clips. Uh, so when I have a neat workspace, you know I'm really avoiding work. But clutter is really also part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because I sometimes find that puttering, which is sort of what I feel like you're talking about there, is almost like a productive kind of procrastination. You know, that if you're cleaning up, sometimes that can help you organize your thinking, like things are happening in your brain while you're doing something with your hands. And in organizing, um, I find that that can help to help to make me more focused. So I don't know if I totally agree that that's like a counterproductive thing that happens. But certainly, a cluttered workspace for a lot of people, myself included, um, is a huge distraction. I cannot start working if there are messes or things out. So um, I usually just kind of, that's almost like a, a default part of my process now is that I'm going to straighten up, I keep things organized. And that's just how I like to work. I know sometimes people will use a timer to kind of keep themselves focused to set a specific time. Do you ever do that for yourself? Yeah, I do. Um, I really love deadlines. That's uh, hugely beneficial for me as I'm, you know, trying to wrap something up. And so either I'll set a timer for something or I will kind of challenge myself, you know, finish this before you go to lunch, finish this before you have to leave to go get the kids from school. And that compressed period of time is uh, is great. I'm, and now what I'm not saying is, and my dad does this, but I'm not very good at this, is I don't get to eat lunch until I finish that. It's more like I have to finish before 1230. Or like today, we have to finish our podcast recording by 130 because I have other meetings right after it. And that kind of pressure is great for me. You're actually even more extreme about this. You're, you're like masochistic a little bit. <laughs> well, I am. And I'm, I'm not sure it's a good thing. But like right now, we are working through lunch to finish these last two It's only like episodes. five minutes after 12. So it's not like two o'clock or anything yet. Yeah. But sometimes in a video shoot, like I'm going to have to watch this tomorrow. Like if I think we can finish by two o'clock, I will say to the crew, I'd say, look, we can break if you guys want to have lunch, but I know that qualitatively, I'm not going to be as good after lunch as I am right now. So if you guys can hang in here with me, get a snack if you need to, let's keep pushing through it. <laughs> so I, 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 yeah, I do. And again, I'm not sure it's a good thing, but it does work. But I think the point is, is that using deadlines, like short-term deadlines within the context of your day can really drive your focus. So today we're talking about how to beat your biggest distraction, which is often yourself. Action one is to build a wall against interruptions, which come from the outside. Action two, put a leash on distractions. And these are the things that come from inside you, your focus breaking out. And action three, increase your frustration tolerance. How in the world do we do that? Frustration tolerance is a concept that Cal Newport talks about in his book, Deep Work. And it's the ability to resist the temptation to give in to distractions. And you could probably even broaden it to say to give in to interruptions. But, but the idea is that uh, initially... We may bail on important work because we're just, we feel a compulsion to do it. You know, maybe because it's, uh, we're not used to doing boring work or work that requires more uh, mental energy. And so we bail out to do the easy thing. Frustration tolerance is when we say no to ourselves. We essentially say, no, 
I know I want to go check uh, social media right now because it's a whole lot easier than this problem I'm trying to solve, but I'm going to stay in the saddle and I'm going to keep working for another 20 minutes or another 30 minutes, or I'm going to let that thing be a reward so that just like when I go to the gym, I can build up my muscles. When, I, when we increase our frustration tolerance, we increase our uh, capacity to concentrate and focus. And that's really a superpower today, particularly in the distraction economy. And I think the way you do this is you practice. You know, there's not like some magic formula for increasing your frustration tolerance. It is akin to lifting weights. You just have to do it and then do it a little more and do it a little more until you uh, kind of have the confidence and the trust in yourself that you can go for longer periods of time. It's really just discipline and self-control with the kind of like fancy psychological label. But that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people react to discipline and mm-hmm. self-control. Right, I know. Frustration <laughs> tolerance sounds so much better. Yeah, it sounds so much, much more sophisticated and esoteric and something maybe I can do. Right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> still still discipline, still self-control at the end of the day. Yep. But seriously, the other part of developing your frustration tolerance is intentionally going back to your why. You know, remembering why does this task matter? What was your original vision for it? What was the uh, kind of passion behind it that's driving it? And this comes into play for especially big projects like writing a book mm-hmm. or a speech or uh, developing a new product, something that is going to take you a longer period of time that you really have to dig into. And you kind of get in that messy middle that we talk about with goal setting sometimes. Remembering your why can give you the boost of energy you need to keep going when you feel frustrated and ready to quit. You know, this kind of reminds me of Andy Andrews' definition of discipline. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Where he says, discipline is, is this. He said, can you make yourself do something you don't want to do for the sake of a result you really want to get? So I think it kind of revert, works in a reverse as well. You know, can I keep myself from doing something I'd like to do now for the sake of staying engaged and focused and concentrated on some work that's going to lead to a result that I really want to get? It's good. Okay, so... Not long ago, I took Facebook off my phone, and I found that for the next several days, I was obsessively hitting the spot on my phone where Facebook used to be. I I wasn't even aware of how often I was distracting myself uh, by looking at social media. And I think a lot of people, maybe in that situation, they're just swimming in this, in this ocean of distractions and notifications and, and downhill work. Uh, how do you make yourself aware of what's really happening in your workflow? Well, I think if you're finding yourself not making progress on your most important projects, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why I like identifying a daily big three, because that gives me focus. And if I'm not able to make progress on those daily big three, I got to ask myself the question, why? I mean, maybe it's just old-fashioned procrastination, but maybe it's because I'm allowing myself to get distracted and do fake work that really is unrelated to those three things that I've identified that are going to you know, move the business or my personal life forward. So I think you've got to develop the self-awareness. And and again, this is where we can use technology to fight technology because Apple has added to the most recent uh, edition of iOS, something called screen time. And so you can designate, you know, how much time you want to spend on various social media sites and it will warn you or cut you off when you've exceeded that. So again, use technology to fight technology. Michael, you, you used a term there that I'd like you to define for us. You, you said uh, fake work, and that's a little bit different from downhill work. Why don't you remind us what it means to do fake work? Yeah, fake work is when you look busy, 
but you're not actually accomplishing anything related to your goals or your important projects. And, you know, some studies I've seen say people spend as much as 50% of their day on fake work. Wow. You know, they're answering emails that don't need to be answered, or they're having conversations in the hallway with people that they don't need to be having conversations with. And, and some of that's, you know, to be expected. It's a way to relieve pressure and it's a way to make, you know, the workplace more social and, and more humane. But at some point, it does become fake work. We feel like we're busy, we're doing these things, we're shuffling papers, we're going through the motions. But are we making progress on our most important goals or an important project? And that's kind of how I measure genuine work. Well, today, we've learned that to be more productive, you've got to quit distracting yourself. And you can do that by building a wall against interruptions, putting a leash on distractions, and increasing your frustration tolerance. So guys, uh, what's the next action you hope leaders will take with these tips that we've given today? I think the next action that I would hope that leaders listening would take is to identify what's the biggest cause of interruptions and distractions in their day. You know, where do they get stuck? Is it like for me with the text messages? Is it notifications popping up on your computer in the middle of every meeting you're in? Is it your social media you know, habit that you have as a distraction? What are those things? And then take some proactive steps to limit those things so that they're not constantly invading your productivity and your ability to focus. My hope is that leaders would be proactive in fighting these distractions and interruptions because I really think that focus is a superpower Focus is the thing that increasingly gives you an edge uh, as you compete in this world in a distraction economy. And while the people you're competing with are getting distracted, they're getting sidetracked, they're doing fake work, they're doing downhill work, if you can learn to discipline yourself, if you can learn to avoid the distractions and the interruptions, you're going to be able to do qualitatively better work that is going to mean something significant for your organization, for the work, for the contribution you're trying to make in the world. So there's something huge here at stake. This is worth getting a handle on. Well, Michael and Megan, as always, very practical, actionable advice. Thank you for sharing that today. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Larry. Guys, thanks for joining us for Lead to Win. And join us next time for another great episode. Until then, Lead to Win. Lead to Win.